It's good to be back with you again, um, back in the pulpit preaching. And um, as Kevin said earlier, we will be, uh, after Labor Day, beginning our fall series of Proverbs, which is more of a, a practical uh, view, a logical view, and really how to understand God's world and how he wrote it and how he made it. Uh, the Psalms gives us permission to cry out and relate to God, but the Proverbs seem to give us a, a way to live and understand it in many ways. And so it seemed appropriate that we would take some time in Genesis and uh, kind of set the groundwork for Proverbs to remember and see why some of the reasons why God made his earth that we live in and some of his purposes from the beginning. So that's what we'll do. So origins tell you a lot about who someone is, their origin does. Um, as you know, my mother recently died, and I was back in my hometown for a long time, uh, for a whole week, and all of the community come to visit us. I was reminded of my own origins and a lot of the things that I entered back into that was uh, really refreshing and uh, unusual and affirming, and to remember to have coaches come up to me and say what they remembered about me or uh, didn't like about me or whatever it was, <laughs> but I was mindful of my own origins. And so my origin, if you were to get to know, know me, if you were to go back to my origins in Alabama and where I come from and my family, uh, you would see and understand why I'm built the way I'm built. Uh, you would understand that I'm, a, uh, I'm from my maternal grandfather. I look just like him. Uh, you would know why of my love of sports and particularly golf, that I don't really have a house that I associate my home to, but I actually have a, a place, a small little co uh, country club in the middle of nowhere that I associate more as home than really probably a house. Uh, why I wear a certain color, uh, crimson, a lot, or you'll see that on me. You would understand my origins would tell you uh, a lot about that, why Saturdays in the fall are sacred to me. My origin would help you understand that, and uh, why I love barbecue, and, um, and uh, even um, uh, some of the things I dislike um, about my origins, why I detest moralism uh, portrayed to be the true Christianity and gospel. Some of that is because of my origins and what I grew up around. So our origins... Tell us a lot about who we are. And guess what? Genesis, the beginnings, it tells us a lot about who we all are. And that's why we go back to that. So this morning, there's no way for me to teach ex, uh, an expository or exegetical se se sequencing of, of Genesis. That's not the goal of this time, okay? We're just going to take a, two or three themes. Uh, but this morning, I want to look at the very beginning of our origins and just have three thoughts. They're all... Um, uh, begin with an E. Here's the outline. Ex nihilo. Uh, nihilo. nihilo. Um, we'll, we'll look at that. And we'll see why that's important. Uh, that's a theme of Genesis for us, why that's important. Next would be uh, the idea of just that there's something extrinsic uh, outside of us that defines us. And we'll look at that theme. And then lastly, there's a uh, exclusiveness or exclusivity. And we find in Genesis and our origin that's really important to how we view this world. So we'll look at those three. Let me pray. And then that hopefully will bring us to this table this morning as we commune together. Lord, help us to... Um, Lord, help us to be reminded that you are the creator of the world. And no matter what the University of Alabama or any other place in this world tries to tell us or tell people who they are and who is king, would you help us to remember that you are this morning? Would you help us as your people in this little local manifestation of the body of Christ in this time, in all of history, in this century, and in this community, would you remind us 
of who we are, that our origins are found right here in the Scriptures. And we can know who we are. And we can understand the purposes that you designed for us. Would you help us over the next couple of weeks as that uh, happens? And would you grant us that this morning? Christ, also, would you be exalted? And may we be mindful that you, the Word, was there in the beginning. You were the one creating. You yourself are not a created one, but you, the one we're doing, the created. May we be mindful of that Christ of you. In their name we pray. Amen. Ex nihilo. Creation. We look there. What the world does that mean? It means, that's Latin, and this is, um, uh, it's, uh, it means to be create something from nothing. That's the basic meaning of that. That out of nothing, something can be made. Now listen, people get lost in Genesis, and they want to, uh, I, I think, can get lost. I'm not saying it's not important, but they can be obsessed with the how. How were we made? And uh, how did it happen? And what was the timeline? And what does yom mean? And day? And how long? And as a matter of fact, you can get caught up in the how, and, that, and, and oftentimes the world wants to bring you into that debate, that there's some huge debate between science and the Scriptures. But we're not... But what I want to tell you, and for our origins, is that the how isn't the most important thing. That's probably not what Moses was trying to say anyway to the people in many ways. He wasn't, I don't think, God's people, when this was written, uh, which is when, exactly when the Pentateuch was written by Moses, who wrote Genesis, this was right after the Exodus, some 1,500 years before Christ. He's writing this down. It's after the Exodus. They haven't quite gone into Canaan. That's what most scholars think. So there they are. They've been in captivity for 400 years. I don't think they want to argue with the how. But what they want to know is who did it and why. And that's what I want to take us back to just this morning. Don't not get caught up in the how only, but that. Look, Genesis 1 is really hard to interpret. It really is. Scholars struggle. You'd be surprised at probably some of the scholars that you read, the angles they come from about Genesis 1 and how they think about it. There's all kinds of debate. Around it. As a matter of fact, even just so you know, within the PCA, within our own denomination, where we are, as far as how God and the, the length of a day and the creation and all of that, whether it was millions of years or a calendar day or if this is analogy or something, there are actually four acceptable views. I'm not going to give them all to you and defend them or tell you what, what, what the strengths and weaknesses of are, but there are four views that you can have as you become to be an ordained pastor within our denomination that they find acceptable and ordained with those four views. Okay? around the how. There's one part of the how that's really important, and it's essential, and that's the one I just highlighted to you. Ex nihilo. That's the one that's the most important, that out of nothing, God created. That one we all agree on, and that's within the bounds of, of that. There's no question about that one, but it's the most important for us. That's our origins, and that's where we're from. You see there in verse 1, in the beginning, God. And so that's really, really important for us to understand. It wasn't uh, that in the beginning, God was before this creation, and all that we are, and all that we see in every form and touch, and everything created, He was before. And so one of the most essential things to understand about this is that God existed before, and He made something. 
And it didn't just flow from him. It came from his mouth. He spoke it into existence. And out of nothing he created. So when you look at those words there, and begin to work through them in the Hebrew, without form, there it says, in the beginning he created the heavens and earth. The earth was without form. That's confusion. Some think the word lends itself to uh, unreality, nothingness. The word void uh, means emptiness, maybe wasteland. And then darkness uh, or deep, there was no life, unseen, nothing is revealed, covered. So how do you describe and define nothing, all right? But the Hebrew with Moses is kind of help us to say the absence of something, right? Other than God being there, there was no matter, there was nothing other than his spirit. And out of chaos, out of darkness, boom, he corrects it and the complete opposite is true. And now there is order and now there is matter and now there is substance Without form, now things become distinct, organized, specific, and all those things. And so, Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Psalm 33.6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. So we could go into the expanses and the billions of light years and the stars and the galaxies. I mean, I grew up next to the Huntsville Space and Rocket Center, right? We went every year. I was amazed at the galaxies and the stars and what was a light year. Can anybody define that? I mean, it's amazing to think about what a light year is. And yet, he made them from the spans of his hand. And he assigns them and he names them and he calls them. He did that from nothing and he brings it by his word. John 1, 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Ex nihilo. Out of nothing came something. That how matters, okay? That part of the how matters. It tells us so much. But why? Why did he do it? That's even more important. For you today, maybe. Well, I'll go for a couple of reasons. One, the first one, why was just because it was glorious and for his own glory. And the Father, Son, and triune God and Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who were glorifying one another, and out of their glory, they created, that they shared with one another, that John 17 tells us that Jesus says, Father, I'm going to the cross, and I can't wait to be back in the glory of the triune perfection of being with you as we glorify one another, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Out of their love and relationship and glory, boom, comes the world. And everything. And he makes everything. Children, the communicants class, right now, Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. All things. And so he did bring it for his glory. But here's, here's something we miss. I personally miss this all the time. I remember when I began to see this. It seems like, is he just a builder who's removed from it? Do you actually know that the word hover there in the Genesis story, that he was hovering in verse 2 over the void? When he was hovering over, it's a Hebrew word that's actually more times used where a, where a mother bird is fluttering over her nest. Anticipation, protection, love. Why did he make it for his glory? 
but he made it to enjoy it. That's the rhythm, which some think that this has hymnal-type poem. Genesis 1 could be that. Some theologians think that. But you see that, that the beauty of it, he was enjoying it. He made it, and it was good. And he made it, and it was good. He was enjoying what he was making. God wasn't just a scientist putting things into order and speaking it. He was a God who was hovering like a mother uh, bird over her nest. And when it came to being, he enjoyed it. And said it was good. And when he got to you and I, which we read there on the sixth day, he said it was very good. He enjoys the thing that he made. That's why he made it. Many of you today don't believe God enjoys you. You think he's flustered primarily and has this undercurrent of just, like I do, which is me, of just frustration that I'm never doing it all the way right. And yet from the beginning, our origins was that he enjoyed us. And then also, look at verse 28. The first thing he's, it tells us that he did when he created male and female, created mankind. Here in the Genesis 1 story, what does he do? He blesses them. So not only is he enjoying them, but it says, and he blessed them. He's blessing. He, he created the creation to bless it. To bless it in general. Proverbs 8. Which we'll get to. Proverbs 8 talks about God delighting in the creation that he made. Grace Church, can I tell you, as we try to live out the next five years in our vision and whatever life you're going into, I want to remind you that our origins was a God of great power and a God who spoke the world in existence. That is the one who we live under and who's ruling. And when he made this world, he enjoyed us and he wants to bless it. So how should you and I respond to that? Well, what do we learn about ourselves? We, we ought to first, I hope you're in awe of it. <laughs> to be in awe that our God, and, have, and then secondly, to be comforted by it. That guess what? This is our Father's world. It's interesting in Revelations 4, 11, we see the climax of all of history in, in John's dream and over and over. But in Romans 4, it says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. And so you want to say, I, usually my first thought is because you saved sinners like us. And Jesus, you, you, uh, you uh, propitiated, we were credited your righteousness and you spilled your blood. But part of the worship in Revelation is what? The next one says, we receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. That's why we're worshiping him. Out of nothing you created, and by your will they existed and were created. Part of the reason we'll be around the throne as God's people is because of his creator. He is our creator. As good old country boys say, that dog will hunt for us, right? And who he is. It also says, if he's the creator and he made it, then... Uh, this creation's not ours. It's his. We're viceroys. We're, we're ambassadors. We're put in charge of it to steward it, but we don't own it. And that's the problem. The creatures think we're in charge. And there's a creator who's in charge. Um, but it also, isn't it beautiful that if he goes to great lengths to bring from the void, that life, there is purpose, and it's not aimless. 
And we are headed somewhere. The humanist has no offer for that. The humanist can't tell you why they, uh, there's any purpose in life. They just know we kind of came to existence by chance. But humans are important. But why are they important? And where are they headed? Our creator gives us, our origins tell us we have purpose. All things have purpose. Not some things, all things. That's where he's taking us. Remember God's people, they were where they were here. I told you in the Exodus, in the wilderness, about to go to the promised land. And they had seen his power. They'd seen him part the Red Sea. Can you imagine actually seeing that? We believe that really happened. And then the Pentateuch is written. And Genesis' story is written. And they're able to say, that God that did that is our God. Not Baal. Not all these others. For 400 years of slavery, they were wondering. They're going to wonder and still struggle. But they imagine, we've only been a country 200, what, 75 years? But this 400 years of oppression, ours been, been, has been that of freedom in many ways. Part of us, anyway. And Moses, what do they need to know? That their God is king. And he created the world. The God who did this, there's a reason he can hold things that seize because everything was created by him. Many of us are standing right where they were today in, in our own way. We're in an unknown land. We're wandering. Maybe God's dealing with our sin as he deals with them and their sin as they get out in the desert. But we find ourselves in a similar predicament. And God as creator can comfort us. I had the opportunity, as you know, um, I had to make the decision whether to stay the course after my mother died. I had... It, was, it, it weighed on me whether it, there was a mission trip I was going on with Hudson and Xander to Columbia with a wonderful ministry uh, uh, in Columbia. We were going on a father-son trip, and it weighed on me. And um, should I go, and should I not, and do I have the capacity? And it was a great opportunity, so needless to say, I, I go. And um, Medellin, Colombia, a city of three million where we were and the facility we were on, I didn't know this about Medellin, but it has basically a climate like San Francisco because of its altitude. And the city sits between seven and 8,000 feet high mountains. And there was a little stadium that we were living in, and, that, and, we, were, and we would, every morning I would go out with the boys and we would try to read the Bible together. And instead of doing what we had planned to do, we were just staring at a waterfall in this mountain as high as we could see. And became mindful of Isaiah 54, um, 10, that says, For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. I never thought that creation would help me grieve as I grieved my mother's death in a foreign land, I looked at creation and said, God's love for me and for her, those mountains will crumble, Isaiah says, before his steadfast love would ever run out. I hope you see that the creation story is not some philosophical debate. It's our origin. But our God is the king. And secondly, just these last two, that there is something extrinsic 
um, or external to that. Look at verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, and he created them. And God saw everything, and he made, in verse 31, I'm skipping down to verse 31, he said, uh, and it was very good. So, secondly, the Genesis story, our origins, that he created it, and how he created it, at least out of nothing, he made something. But there's great implications for him being the creator that gives us hope. That's our origin. But then also, what the Genesis story tells us is that Our value and worth is not found internally or intrinsically. Intrinsically is not a word, but I like to say it, intrinsic. It's not an intrinsic. Our worth isn't intrinsic. Our worth and our value is extrinsic. It's outside of us. Now, the world is telling you you can find it within. But what the Scriptures teach is that who we are was defined by the one who made us. And who we are is defined externally or extrinsic. Our value is not found within us but it's found outside of us, defined by the one who made us. That's incredibly important. You arrive at the truth of who you and I arrive at the truth of who we are from outside. So right here it tells us that we were made in the image of God. He defines us who we are. And we were the crown of creation. We aren't him, but we bear his image. And so therefore every human being in life has worth. Whether inside the church or outside the church, people's identity are they're made in the image of God. And notice here also, you can learn a lot about yourself. We were made by a triune God. What that means is we were made to be in relational beings. We are communal by nature. We weren't made to live isolated. The pandemic has wreaked havoc on us because it isolated us. You weren't made to be alone. You were made. It doesn't matter if you're introvert or extrovert. That's just how you approach the relationships. You were made for relationships. Why? Because God, we were made for him, and he defined who we were. And the work and authority, we were made to work. But, but let me just give you a practical sense why this is important. Just think about it this way. Think about human beings in general. A child is born, right? An infant is born. They don't have the capacities mentally or really to interpret or do anything. They're just born right into a family, into a home. And what is the design of the family? A child can't arrive at who they are intrinsically. Where does God put them? In a perfect world by his design. Sin's messed it up. But think about, track with me here in a perfect world. That a child is born and they need someone, they're given someone older to ex, from the ex, externally to help define who they are. I cry and someone will be there. I'm hungry. I must have value because something keeps coming to feed me. And then as a child grows, right, and they start to internally process, what is the job of the parent? To process, oh, that's selfish and that's because you're messed up. It's better for you to learn to share with others. It'll be a miserable way to think, make every decision and lie to yourself, child. And so the external being is helping the, the child internally process what's true about the world. See that? Now, the problem is, like Seth mentioned, is that we give them the wrong external truths to process their internal. And you may give them the idea that, hey, your worth is found in how good you are as an athlete. 
Or your worth is found as how smart you are and what school you go to. Or may you do that. Now, we do it backwards, and so you, you see the point. What I'm trying to argue is this, <laughs> is that God's method of even for children to be raised is to show them that they intrinsically can't arrive at it, that an external love has to define them and then help them interpret it. And he may do it wrong, now this side of the earth, but that's the pattern. And guess what? That's the pattern for all of us. And our hope now is that your children is like, sometimes I don't do it well. But sometimes we come back around and say, but here's the real external truth about who you are, Macy Grace. Creation is a song in some sense where God is creating the world and he's telling it's good, it's good. And Psalm 19 tells us the world is bringing him glory and bringing it back to him and the order is clear. And then he makes a human being and he gives them uh, a relationship, and he's in fellowship with them, and he walks in the cool of the day, is what Genesis tes, says of them. And there's a song. And so here's the question What song is being sung in your homes? What song is being sung in your life? Is the ex external reality and the truth of who God is and what he is, or is it a different song that this world wants us to sing? But our value and our worth is found from outside of us. And so here's what that means. We, if, my, if my worth is determined and fixed and I do have one who is loved, then everything I move out to, it doesn't matter if it's high school, it doesn't matter if it's middle school, it doesn't matter if it's the job place, it doesn't matter if I'm a boss or a preacher or whatever it means, I move forward with stability externally. And every time I feel like I'm wavering, I lean on the truth that is outside of me and help it realign me inwardly. That's every part of life. Lastly, the exclusiveness here. There's a theme, and notice it says, God says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. There is a relationship that is exclusive. It's the Trinity. And there's no other relationship and no other beings like them. It's an exclusive membership, if you will. The triune God. And in the Genesis story, he makes a creation. And then in his mercy, he chooses to make one part of creation, human beings, you and I, and bring us in to that exclusive fellowship. And know him in a way that no other part of creation can. So the exclusive God that there is none like creates and bring, brings us in and includes us in that fellowship. Now listen, he defines the parameters. His inclusiveness of us says, listen, he gives, remember he gave two trees. The first one he said there's a tree of life and you can eat from this and live. But he also said there's a tree of knowledge and if you eat from that one you'll be destroyed because that tree reminds you of this, that you're not God. You're the creature. Those are the parameters. And he brings us into that inclusiveness. But what happens is that we eat the forbidden fruit and we're no longer excluded. Included. We're excluded. Human beings were excluded. Why? Because Adam and Eve. And that was the offer of Satan. He said that you could be like God. And he was withholding. He wasn't a good God. And all that story. But do you see? It was exclusive. He included us. And then we excluded ourselves. And we've been outside the fellowship of Christ. But also in the origins of Genesis, which we didn't read today, 
God planted a seed, tells us in Genesis 3, and begins the story of the serpent one day will be conquered by the seed of the woman. And the story of salvation is us being brought back to be included into what we lost in our exclusiveness with him. As a matter of fact, Jesus was described in Hebrews 13 that he, it says, come to Jesus outside the camp. You ever heard of that language that he was outside the camp and he, was, he went outside the camp? Because the way the priests used to, without getting into all the details, basically uh, when they would sacrifice on the altar the sins of atonement, they would put it on, a, on a, a goat and they would send that goat outside the camp to send our sins as far as the east is from west. It's symbolism. And when Jesus is crucified, he's not crucified within the walls of Jerusalem. Guess where he's crucified? Outside the walls, outside the camp of where God's people encamped. And it is outside there that we, he, we meet him. We were excluded. And he comes after us to include us again. And his parameters to come in there's only one way, through Christ. And he sets the parameters in again. So that's why we come to this table, to remember our origins, that we were excluded and now are included. And sometimes we function like we're not included by Christ. We sometimes function like we came here on our own. But as we go into God's world, remember that, that we have a king who made something from nothing, we are, we are defined from outside of ourselves externally, and we were excluded, and now through Christ we are included. That's our origins. And that's why and we go to bring more in. So let's pray. God, as we come to this table, as we sing and respond together as your people, would you help us to um, would you help us to eat it away? that we celebrate that you've brought us in. And God, as we come to this table together, would you um, strengthen our faith? In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.